currently in a series titled Kingdom Families, Jesus, Marriage, and Parenting. As you recall from last week, the title was The Role of the Christian Wife. This week, our title is similarly, The Role of the Christian Husband. Let me begin by saying this. Sin has made the world stupid. Men have forsaken their God-given identities, their God-given responsibilities, but we can't figure out why the world is slipping into chaos, why our youth is so lost, why our society is breaking down so desperately. It is not because women are evil or because women are weak or lack strength or wisdom in and of themselves, it's because in God's divine design, he has ordained men to function in a certain capacity. And what we're seeing around the world is the complete and utter demise of the creation culture that God established. Let me explain. We currently have males competing against females in sports because they say that they're female, because our world has separated sex from gender. And I hear more of a complaint about this from women than I do men. We have the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned in the federal courts and abortion being either outlawed or strictly prohibited at the state level. And I hear more from women who want their right to kill their babies than I do from the men who put the baby in the womb. We have a recently approved Supreme Court justice, Kentonji Brown Jackson, who as intelligent and skilled as she is, cannot answer, though she is a wife with two daughters, a simple question like, what is a woman? If we can't publicly defend the definition of woman, then we certainly can't publicly defend the idea of man. And if we can't define man, then who do we think we are to determine what is or is not a woman? We are lost. In this world, masculinity has been compromised, downplayed, insulted. We might even go so far as to say that masculinity has been emasculated. In a world that is as lost as ours, gentlemen, you may or may not find it difficult to grab your God-given identity with both hands out there. But in here, it will not be disputable. In this room, in accordance with this book, you will know what a man is to be according to God's design and expectation, regardless of what is said elsewhere. While our world runs around redefining everything in order to justify its sinfulness, we have the Word of God as a lamp and a light. And when we look to the Word of God, we learn something. We learn that we don't look to Jesus to see how he measures up against our idea of masculinity. Instead, we look to Jesus to see how we measure up against his masculinity. We don't need men acting like good husbands. We need men who are good husbands because they're biblical men. We don't mean men who are acting like good dads. We need men who are good dads because they're biblical dads. We don't need men who are acting like good friends. We need men who are good friends because they're biblical friends. We don't need men who are acting like good employees. We need men who are good employees because they're biblical employees. Remember, we're supposed to be wise and full of the Spirit. 
The world wants us jacked up on sugar and simple carbohydrates instead of good food and exercise. The world wants our minds full of television and pornography rather than the word of God in good books and conversations. The world wants us to spend another three hours on YouTube rather than learning a new skill. Men, by the day, are looking weaker and weaker. Today, a man is a compromised, spineless, convictionless, mentally weak, discouraged, slothful being who wants all the rewards of masculinity with none of the responsibility. While his mom is telling him how absolutely amazing he is. Creating nothing but a nightmare for his future wife. I'm not your mother. I'm going to tell you straight. We're not growing boys in this church. We're growing men. I have expectations of you, gentlemen. Young men, I have expectations of you. I don't care who your father or your mother is. I speak according to the authority of the Most High God, and he's more important than your father and your mother. So listen to the word of God today. And if you feel pricked in the heart, pray about it. If you feel encouraged, blessings. If you assess your life and see situations that need to change, I'm challenging you to change them. I've got two simple points for you today. Just like last week, so it is this week. First of all, the teaching. Second of all, the illustration. So let's begin at the top. The teaching, chapter 5, verse 25. The Apostle Paul, again, speaking to the church at Ephesus, says it this way. You can read with your eyes as I read aloud. Husbands, what's he say? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water and with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. We're going to get to that because there's a lot there. But just as we began last week with the first point under the title, The Role of the Christian Wife, being the teaching. So this week, we are also starting our sermon, The Role of the Christian Husband, with the same title, The Teaching, because this is providing for us, you and I, the foundation for all the lessons that we're going to learn. I see a couple of things here worth noting. First, I want you to note the command. I want you to note the command. When Paul gives the command that he does in chapter 5, verse 25, much like the command that he gave to wives in chapter 5, verse 22, he doesn't mince his words. This is not a TED talk. He doesn't put out a poll. He doesn't survey the cultural landscape to find out what verbiage is popular at the time. He says, husbands, love your wives. Unequivocally, without apology, with a straightforward tone, he says, according to the culture of creation, husbands, love your wives. It's our duty. It's our job. Fellas, he doesn't say, husbands, love your wives, if this or that. He doesn't say, Husbands, love your wives, if this or that. He just says, husbands, help me out, love your wives. Now you might say, Joe, that's easier said than done. <laughs> to which I might say, amen. <laughs> and you might be right. The truth of the matter is, and we have reiterated this and reiterated this time and time again, your wife is a sinner, you're a sinner, two sinners in a sinful world is going to create problems. Inevitably, you're going to have hardships and difficulty. You might be right, but the easiness and the comfortableness of a command doesn't dictate the rightness of the command. 
This is where so many churches and so many pastors are getting it wrong by diluting the gospel that they're preaching. Sometimes God is going to command you to do things that's uncomfortable and difficult and challenging, and it's still right. I also want you to note the identity of the recipient in this command. Paul doesn't say, husbands, love your mothers. And and he doesn't say, husbands, love your friends. Your wife, gentlemen, plays a unique role in your life. Your wife, though she should be your friend, is so much more than your friend. And your wife, though she may have similar characteristics to your mother, or may be a wonderful mother herself, is not your mother. She must be treated like the unique person that she is. She must be treated like your companion, your queen, And if you're having problems in your marriage because of your wife, pray and let God handle it. Because your job is to love your wife, not change your wife. The command is clear. Husbands, love your wives. That's the first thing that we see under the teaching is that it's a clear command. The second thing I want you to note is the commitment. First, I want you to note the command. Second, I want you to note the commitment. The verse continues. Look at it with your eyes. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Get this. And gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that, purpose clause in the Greek, hina, he did all of this so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. There's a lot here, so I want to show you what Paul is saying in bullet points, okay? I don't want you to miss it because there's a lot here by way of commitment, okay? Let's start at the top. He says that Jesus, who is our illustration, and we're going to get to that in our second point, but Jesus does this with the church just as Christian husbands should. Loved the church, gave himself up for the church, he sanctifies the church, he cleanses the church, he washes the church. Let me do this again. He loved the church, he gave himself up for the church, he sanctifies the church, cleanses the church, and washes the church. This is an incredible level of commitment. How does this all happen, Paul says? By water and the word. By water and the word, which is undoubtedly a reference to Christian baptism, Mr. Jimmy got baptized a couple weeks ago, indicating to everyone that he believes Jesus is his Savior. He has trusted Jesus as his Savior. That's an initiatory right publicly for Christianity. But in addition to that, it's not just the baptism that we're talking about. We're talking about the baptism that is coupled with the Word. Washing uh, by water and the Word. And why? It's going to continue to unravel and unfold as we move forward. The third thing I want you to see is not only the command and commitment, but here, the outcome. I want you to note the outcome. Namely, Paul says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blame or without blemish, excuse me. In other words, and get this, Jesus doesn't expect others to do in his marriage to the church what is his responsibility alone to do. I'm going to say this again because this should change your life. Jesus does the work. Did you get that? Jesus wants his bride to be beautiful, amazing, without spot or blemish. So what does Jesus do in his marriage to the church? He works it. 
He does not put his responsibility on someone else. Fellas, you might need advice. Or you might need counsel every now and then. You might need to talk to someone further down the line than you are. If you've been married five years, talk to somebody who's been married 25 years. That's what men should do. Men should learn. Men should grow. Men should improve. Men should get better. Amen? But get this. Ultimately, the condition of your marriage is your responsibility. Say that again. Ultimately, the condition of your marriage is your responsibility. Fellas, do not outsource your destiny as a husband. Do not subcontract your calling as a husband. Jesus does the work on his church that he and only he can do as the husband of the church. Jesus does this work. But how does, he does, how does he do this? Excuse me. How does he ensure the outcome? Let's go to our second point, which is going to help us break this down a little farther. That's where we're going to spend the remainder of our time this morning, the illustration. This is found in verses 26 through 30, but just to wet our palate, let's just read it all together. You with your eyes as I read aloud. God's word says, Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with his word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Did you get that phrase, that introductory remark? Paul's turning a corner and he goes, you see that? Everybody says, yeah, we see that. And Paul says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And we'll stop there. Secondly, we have Paul's illustration of Jesus's marital relationship to the church. And Paul continues to paint this picture for us, like that illustration that we used for the wives last week in Ephesians 5, through 24. So it is now. The illustration is centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. Again, this is why it is paramount to comprehend what we're talking about in Christianity. We're not doing a topical study on wives and on husbands. We're doing a study about what it means to be a husband or a wife in view of who Jesus is, in view of what Jesus has done. This is why it makes no sense to teach a a lesson like this to a group of unbelievers, because unbelievers do not appreciate the magnitude of the sacrifice of Jesus or who he is. Christian wives are to submit to their husbands, not as to a slave owner or a boss or something like that. We covered that. But as Christ submitted to the Father during his incarnation, fulfilling his purpose and his duty to God. Christian husbands are to love their wives just like Christ loves the church and so on. How can a husband therefore be a good Christian husband if he doesn't understand and appreciate the death of Jesus Christ on his behalf. You want to be a good husband? Be a good Christian first. You want to understand what it takes to be a good husband? Get to know Jesus. The illustration gives us a couple of things to consider. First, a husband is to be sacrificial. We read through this text, verses 25 and following, we find that we can glean a few things. First of all, a husband is to be sacrificial. Paul says that Jesus gave himself up for the church. 
And since Jesus is our example, husbands should give themselves up for their wives. Pretty simple. Gentlemen, are you willing to die for your wife? I know most of the men in this room, some of you are good friends of mine. I know you, and I can speak on your behalf, I think. I know that you would die for your wife. In a tragic situation, in an emergency, you would not hesitate to give your life for your wife. I think the majority of men would say, I would die for my wife. There's probably a group of men who would say, please, God, let me die for my wife. But this is not what we're talking about. That's a different group. I think most men would say, in an emergency, I would take it. I would sacrifice myself for my wife. It's a wonderful point, and it's a wonderful truth. But I want to take you further, and I want to teach you something that you may not see in this text. I think most men probably would die for their wives. But Jesus didn't only die for the church. Because of the resurrection, Jesus lives for the church. Here's my question, gentlemen. I know you're willing to die for your wife. But are you willing to live for your wife? Completely different question. Some verses are going to come up on the screen. I want you to... Make a note of them. John 10, 17, Jesus says, I lay down my life so that I might take it up again. John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, which is sins, and raised for our justification. No resurrection, no forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Hebrews 7, verse 25, consequently, he, that is Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives. How often? always lives to make intercession for them. Of course you're willing to die for your wife. But are you willing to live for your wife? I think when we see the meaning and purpose of marriage for men through the lens of the work and person of Jesus Christ, we see that dying for your wife that's not that special. Jesus lives for his wife. Are you living for your wife? Every day is your queen your first priority. Second, a husband should be patient. I hate this part. Let's go to the next one. Listen, I'm getting this not from a particular word in here, but the overarching idea that we see in this illustration. Jesus washes the church. He sanctifies the church. He presents the church. He's doing I'm going to tell you something. I think this takes time. This is not the kind of work that happens overnight. Amen? This is the kind of thing that requires patience. Listen to me, church. A good marriage doesn't occur after the wedding ceremony. A good marriage takes years and years and years to grow and mature. You are not going to have the glories and the maturity and the amazing depth in year two that God willing you'll have in year 30. Those people who make it to year 30, they earn that, brother. They have the blood, sweat, and tears to say, I've been married 30 years. Oh, 30 years, oh, that's real nice. No, that's amazing. 
being a good husband, a biblical man, someone who follows the model of Jesus requires patience. Listen, just like sanctification takes time, Jesus doesn't make us mature Christians in a week. So a good marriage takes time. And I want to take a second here and speak to you as your pastor. In view of having said that, I think it's important that I address reality for a moment. Difficulty in marriage is not unusual. Difficulty in marriage isn't even unique. You are going to have hard times in your marriage. In fact, you're going to have hard years. Those of us who are farther down the line than others know that sometimes you wake up and you go, January's going to be awful. I'm going to hate January. But you don't go, oh, I'm going to quit. I can tell things are getting hard. Therefore, I'm going to leave. Or I can tell things are going to be difficult. Therefore, it must not be right. No, the rightness of a thing and the easiness of a thing don't necessarily correlate. Sometimes the right thing and the good thing and the hard thing are all the same thing. And you need to remember that in your marriage, you're going to have hard years. Be patient. You're going to have hard months. Be patient. In the next week or two, we're going to talk about how to be married. We're just focusing on the women and the men right now. But when we talk about how to be married, we'll break down practically what some of those things are, what we can infer biblically about the lessons in marriage. For now, just hear me out. Be patient. Jesus loves his church, and he blesses her, and he works on her. She is imperfect. Amen? But you don't just give up on someone you love. And Jesus loves his church. And sometimes you want him to give up on you. You wouldn't say it in church, but your behavior says it. Jesus, look the other way while I do this thing. Jesus, look the other way while I use this word. Jesus, look the other way while I behave in a way that you told me and I told you I understood. I should not behave. Just look the other way. Give me two minutes. Let me do what I got to do, and I'll be back. And Jesus says, I love you, and I will never leave you or forsake you. Marriage requires patience. Finally, the husband should be hardworking. The husband should be hardworking. Again, we're gleaning some points here from what Paul says Jesus does for the church. He's sacrificial. He's patient. Finally, he's hardworking. Look at all that Jesus does for his bride, the church. Here's the lesson and the point. Jesus serves the church with sacrificial leadership. It's none of this, do what I say, woman. It's leadership through servanthood. Jesus leads his body, the church, by way of service. He has sacrificed for the church. He has bled for the church. He forgives the church. I'm going to say that twice. He forgives the church. He prays for the church. He purifies the church. He perseveres with the church in righteousness and in goodness, with patience. And finally, he promises never to leave or forsake the church. Let's just put it this way. Jesus has promised to never divorce us. Listen, I'm going to put this like Paul does to a point. Are you sacrificing yourself for your wife? Are you leading your house sacrificially? Are you bleeding? We might just say, are you living for your wife? 
Are you forgiving your wife? Are you praying for your wife? Are you purifying her by being devoted to Jesus with her? Are you persevering with her through difficulty, whether it's January or two or three years, as you learn how to be a good husband and she learns how to be a good wife? Listen, Jesus is the head of the church. He loves and adores the church for all that he has done. He will see this relationship through to the end. And because of that, we worship him. Amen? Now, I'm not against husbands being adored, being loved. I'm not against fathers being respected and being appreciated and being loved. I am, however, against them being loved and adored simply because they're male and have a title husband or father. You want the love that comes to Jesus from the church? Act like Jesus. You're not going to get that by default. The reward does not precede the responsibility. Fulfill your responsibility, and the rewards of being a husband or a father will come. Now, that essentially is the presentation of the text. As I did last week, so I want to do this week. I want to share some bullet points with you. Whether you're single male, married, dating, engaged, or if you've been married one year, 10 years, 20 years, I have some points of principle that I want to share with you. First of all, for the single men, here's some advice. Put your cell phones down. I mean, you're not right now. If you're taking notes right now, don't put your cell phones down. In general, put the phone down, man. Look up. Start living your life with some attention. The enemy loves the fact that you've been wooed into a sort of comatose state by your phone. A mindless man is a weak man. If you would be a strong biblical man, one that is attractive to biblical women, put the phone down. Pick your chin up and pay attention. Next, get a job. If you're broke, you're not marketable. A broke man is not an attractive man. I don't care how cute your mom says you are. If you don't have money in your wallet, you're going nowhere. Get a job. If you have a job and you're working two hours a week, that's not a job. Get a job. Work. If you have more time in your week and you find yourself getting disinterested and you're sort of becoming lackadaisical about everything and nonchalant, you're not working enough. Get another job. If you have a full-time job and you're single and you're putting money away, get a side hustle. Start putting some money in the bank. Why is this important, Joe? Because, number three, you need to get an apartment. Get a job. Get an apartment. Well, I'm single. I'm saving money. For how long are you going to save money? Your girl does not want to go to your mom's house. And when you get married, you don't want to run up and down the hallway where your parents' room is down the, down the hall without clothes on. You need freedom. What does the scripture say in chapter 5, verse 31? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. If you don't want to, stay there. Watch how well that works. I warned you. I'm going to say something. There are no kids here. So I'm going to say something. Your wife needs the safety of a home to have that naked and not ashamed experience with her husband. That's scriptural. That's Genesis. Adam and Eve were together, naked but not ashamed. It doesn't say Adam and Eve were together naked and a little ashamed because Eve's mom and dad lived on the other side of Eden. 
This is not how it works. Now, I understand it's convenient. And there are decisions that you need to make financially. I understand we all have hardships and things happen. I'm not talking about special instances. I'm talking in general, you need to get your own place. It's weird when you're 30 years old bringing a date to your mom's house. You need to have a job, and you need to start putting money away. You need to have your own place. It doesn't have to be a mansion. The first apartment that Dimey and I had, we joke, if you turn a corner too fast, you get a concussion. It was like 560 square feet. But it was ours. That was our apartment. That was our castle. Here's another principle I want to share with you if you're single. And by that I mean unmarried. Stop dressing like a teenager who's running late for school. You're not 15 anymore. Stop dress, start dressing like you're 20, like you're 25. Dress like a presentable person. Lose the basketball shorts and the shirt that's plaid with the basketball shorts that's striped. And the, and the color scheme is completely, it's like a major clash. Dress like a young, dress like a young adult. Make yourself presentable, man. Here's another thing. Learn to fix stuff. Learn to fix stuff. There is nothing more annoying for a man than getting this look from his wife, that look that says, if my dad was here, he could fix it. (laughs) Am I right? Oh, we want the respect. We want the reward, but we don't want the responsibility. Learn how to change the oil in your car. If water's leaking from the refrigerator, you have no idea, call somebody who's had a refrigerator before you. If the AC unit is not working, find out how to get it to work again. Troubleshoot. You don't have to be a technician in 10 different things to be a good husband. But if you're going to own a place and run a family, you got to know a thing or two about a thing or two. You can't go from your dad and mom's house into marriage successfully without knowing this. So if you're not getting trained, you need to get under some deacons or some men in this church and start learning some stuff because things happen. I know, I know, you don't think things are going to happen, but I'm going to tell you, Dimey's going to tell you, things happen. You've got everything planned. Oh, it goes wrong, and it goes wrong fast. And if you are not prepared as a person, you will not be successful as a spouse. Next, I don't care how fine she is. If she's not a Christian, the answer is no. She's got to love Jesus. And if she thinks you're better than Jesus, she's wrong. Find a woman who loves Jesus, and your life will be amazing. Find a woman who puts Jesus first, and you will have an amazing relationship. Notice also that I say, find a woman. Now, I know it's 2022, and women are equal and all that stuff. That's fine. I'm I'm okay with that. I love strong women. I got a whole family of strong women. I'm down. I'm down. But my daughters will not be pursuing anybody. Buck up and do your job. Don't DM. Want to get ice cream or whatever. Don't snap anybody. Present yourself. Practice if you need to. It's not attractive when young men hide behind social media. Women are not attracted to men who are so shy they will not speak to the person they're dying to go on a date with. The math is not difficult here. You should be pursuing the person you're interested in. You should not be waiting for her to pursue you. Now, if your relationship is initiated and she's pursuing you, reciprocity is a beautiful thing. Sometimes I have to tell Dimey, no, that's enough. I'm tired, I can't take anymore. 
Reciprocity is a beautiful thing. But I'm constantly pursuing my wife. This is not a slap on my own back, by the way. I'm not a perfect husband. But I'm constantly pursuing my wife. That's part of your duty. Jesus is always pursuing the church. And if you're interested in a love life that is healthy, men, you need to pursue. Okay. Single guys, I think that's enough for you. Married guys, here, number one. All right. Let me unbutton my sleeves here. Jay, do you mind if I roll my sleeves up? Yes, sir. First thing Jay does when he puts on a dress shirt is roll up his sleeves. Okay. Gentlemen, don't be rigid. Be flexible. I don't know how to say You can interpret that however you want. It's not scriptural. It's just, it's, my, it's, it's, it's Joe 316, okay? <laughs> I can guarantee you whatever plans you have in your mind, it's not going to go that way. It's not going to work that way. It's not going to work that way in the bedroom. It's not going to work that way in the kitchen. It's not going to work that way in the garage. It's not Every aspect and compartment of your marriage life is going to go a direction that you were not expecting. It doesn't make it bad. Don't be rigid. Be flexible. Here's some other things I want to share with you. Listen, you should be texting your wife. I know work is busy. I know you got your emails and three email addresses and somebody texts you from work and you have a lot going on. Stop what you're doing. The world will not end. Stop what you're doing and text your wife. Tell your wife, I'm thinking about you. I miss you. I enjoyed last night. I don't know what happens to men's game after they get married. It's like they hang up the jersey. You're just starting. She's entrusted her heart and love to you because you schooled her. You told her that you would love her and flirt with her and be attracted to her and romance her and think about her. And then after the marriage, you're like, yeah, I'm tired. No, you've got to communicate with your wife. Text her, let her know that you're thinking about her. Here's another point of concern for me. You need to date your wife. Look at these two, he's crying already. We need tissue. Get a room. Date your wife. Date your wife. Now, I know Biden has killed the economy. But listen, you don't need a lot of money to go on a date with your wife. I know inflation is, racing your ra- is, is outracing your raise. I know that milk is $5. I know that gas is $5. I know everything is very expensive. But you can date your wife with a series and an oven pizza. Tell everybody in the house, don't bother us for two hours. We have a date. Sometimes you got to go in the room and shut the door with a sign, do not disturb Whatever it is you need to do to date your wife, build time into your week to remind your queen that in your kingdom, nothing is more important. Nothing. If you fail to date your wife, you are communicating to her, even if you aren't doing it with words, that everything is important except her. And that is not acceptable in God's eyes. Date your wife. Here's, a new, here's another one. Talk. Talk. You're like, talk about what? Yes. <laughs> this is hard for men. Guys, just hang on for a second. Let me speak to the ladies. Ladies, this is hard for men. Let me tell you why. Men have everything figured out in their mind already. We don't need to talk. What is there to talk about? I've already decided. Well, you didn't tell me. I didn't think I needed to tell you. I already figured it out in my brain. We have to talk. Gentlemen, we've got to talk. We've got to talk because, same if you're listening, of all the things that we have in common with God, our creator, one of those things that is incredibly Important is the ability to communicate. God loves to talk. 
God loves to talk so much that he ensured that his word was preserved for us because God loves to talk. Now, there are times in Scripture when God stopped talking. And then the psalmist says, why are you far from me, Lord? Because if you are not talking to your wife, you are saying to your wife that communication with her is not valued by you. Doesn't matter if you said, I don't enjoy talking to you. If you're not talking to her, you're sending a message. And communication by men of God is a quality that we've inherited from the Lord. So if we fail in our skills of communication, we are not resembling the image of God. Men should be able to communicate. You don't have to be an orator. She's your wife. You're not not running for some office where you're going to be in front of people every single day all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. You should be comfortable speaking to your wife about whatever might be happening in your family, in your heart, in your mind, something she said to you the other day that you've been thinking about, what's going on at work. You should be able to communicate with your wife. I'm going to say this to you. Your wife's love language includes that. I guarantee it. I don't know what her love language is. I don't know your wife. I know my wife. I cannot out-talk my wife. My wife falls asleep speaking. (laughs) And when she wakes up, she goes, and so then I was thinking, it's like wherever she falls asleep, she picks up. This, I'm going to, listen, we're like, yeah, it's funny. It's funny. This kills me. Because I'm happy with 100-year-old dusty books, a closed door, and some music in the background with hot coffee. I'm good. I could stay like that for a long, long time. I have had to learn that when I shut down and become reclusive, it hurts my wife. I've had to learn how to be a good husband for her. doesn't matter what my view is of myself. What matters is how she feels. And if she feels neglected and unloved, then I've got to make an adjustment in my life. Now, fortunately, I'm perfect. (laughs) So that adjustment happened like in an afternoon. (laughs) Here's another thing. Married men, encourage your wife. Encourage your wife. The world is tearing women down, limb from limb. The world is tearing women apart right now. The world is so confused as to what a woman is or isn't, what a man is or isn't. Even their messaging is completely debacled. It's completely confused. They don't know if women should be this or be that. Kind of depends on who said what. But the scriptures say that a woman is the companion and partner of her husband. And just as she compliments you, so you have to encourage her. As the world is tearing down our wives, gentlemen, our homes need to be a place of safety, positivity, and love. If your wife works, you need to keep her encouraged. If your wife doesn't work, you need to keep her encouraged. Whatever your specific setting is, In the culture of your family, you should be positive and encouraging to your wife. Now, if you're in a situation where you lack encouragement, don't beat them over the head. Men don't respond real well to that. Part of the reason a man leaves his father and mother's house is because there's an age, 13, 15, 17, where men are starting to grow into their masculinity. And then all of a sudden, we have an alpha problem in the house because the boy wants to be the man. This is the way God made us. There comes a time when we start to come of age, but we're still under the authority of our father and mother. Now, we pass that. We get married, and we're in this marriage relationship with a woman who is our partner and our equal. Now, if you talk to us like our mother used to talk to us when we were 12, it's not going to be well received. We don't want to regress and go back to 15. We're grown men. 
Put your hand on our shoulder and go, babe, can you do something for me? Can I tell you something that would mean a lot to me? Talk to us like you would a friend, a life partner, somebody who means everything to you, because we're not just anybody else. We're your husband. And I will tell you this. If you have your husband's attention, he will do absolutely anything for you. But if you make him defensive, he won't do it, even if he can, just to make the point. (laughs) See what I mean? At the end of the day, whether you're single or married, God's command to men who want to be husbands or our husbands, is husbands, love your wives the way Jesus loves the church. Ladies, before I close, I'm going to make one more statement. This one's for free since last week was yours. Don't marry a man who wants to be married. Marry a man who wants to be a husband. Those two things are not the same. A lot of men want to be married because of the image that marriage has been passed down to them. But you don't want a man who wants to be married. You want a man who wants to be a husband. 